This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, four goal games, blowouts, and overtime. The man might have a huge doubleheader weekend coming up. Steve Govett will check in. The NLL Board of Governors had meetings in Uncasville two weeks ago. We'll try and touch on a few of the topics. And I will make two requests. One to players and one to management. All that and more on OTCB. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for checking in and stopping by wherever you may be listening to. On your mobile device, on your laptop, maybe you're flying high on Delta using their fancy go-go Wi-Fi. I experienced that for the first time this weekend coming back from Denver. Never knew that. Could do that without, like, spending money. And it kind of worked. Um, so thanks, Delta. I didn't really like your super hot airplanes, but I liked that I could be on my phone the whole time. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me and tell me to stop complaining about my free travel, uh, you can hit me on Twitter at off the crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. A uh, couple emails coming in um, over the past couple weeks. I was away. Last week, enjoying the sunshine of Palm Springs, uh, playing golf with my father, which is always a yearly tradition that I look forward to every year down uh, at Desert Falls Country Club. So thanks to everybody down there for always making me feel welcome and allowing me to use your clubs when um, Alaska lost my clubs somewhere in Seattle and took two days to find them and get them to me. Again, I'm complaining about free things. So um, let's talk about things that aren't free. And that's the entertainment value of the National Lacrosse League because sometimes we do have to pay for awesome things, and we are getting some absolutely fantastic lacrosse. And we had a little bit of everything this weekend. We had a pretty decent tilt between two good guys not hurting anybody but themselves, and Andrew Suter and Steve Priolo. We had some other guys who wanted to fight and didn't get a chance, namely... Greg Downing and Dane Doby. I'm going to talk about that those two instances a little bit later. But we had two fantastic overtime games, Toronto and New England, Buffalo and Rochester. We had two goals decided by four goals. And we had two games that were blowouts. Buffalo beat Rochester on Friday 13-9. Vancouver beat Saskatchewan on Saturday, 13-9. Colorado beat up on Calgary, 18-9. And then the next night, Calgary's able to beat Georgia, 18-11. And that game was a lot closer or a lot more of a blowout than it was because Georgia somehow was able to claw their way back into that game. And actually, I think we're in within four. 15-11, I think, at one point in the fourth quarter. But what we have here and now, even though there is some space in the standings, we have some pretty even lacrosse. And I'm not going to use the word parody because I'm not a fan of using the word parody. But the fact that everybody, thanks to Rochester's overtime win, is still in it. And Rochester still would have been in it, but they would have been a lot further back in the East had they not won that game on Dan Dawson's OT 
winner. Apparently his first as a Nighthawk. Maybe even his first in his career. But if they hadn't won that game and lost both games to Buffalo, it would have been really hard for the Nighthawks to be in the hunt. But where it stands now, they're just a half game out. Which is crazy to think about that they're in fifth and with a win could literally jump right into third. Toronto's two games back at Georgia. Then New England and Buffalo are three and a half game back, games back. And then you have Rochester just four games back. And then out in the West, uh, we have ourselves a matchup on Saturday night that I think everybody in the NLL will be watching. Colorado at Saskatchewan for the second time in the matter of weeks. And Colorado is just a half game back of Saskatchewan for first place in the West. And if you remember the last time these two teams played, it was a a 9-7 victory. Call it 8-7. Cornwall's empty netter really sealed it, but it was an 8-7 victory nonetheless. And Colorado didn't have a full lineup. They also didn't have Stephen Keogh. And since that loss, they have won two straight and are technically the hottest team in the National Lacrosse League right now. Only team with a two-game winning streak. They've won four of five. Their defense is allowing pretty much under 10 a game. And somehow, without Jeremy Noble, without Zach Greer, and without John Grant Jr., they continue to put up big numbers. And let me tell you, it's a real treat to call games when your team is winning by 9, 10, 11 goals than to be on the other end. And Steve Govett is going to check in. Um, we I caught up with him earlier in the day. Uh, he was actually on his way to his son's last preseason lacrosse game uh, before the se- regular season kicks off on Friday, so good luck to Jake. They do a lot of good things right in Colorado. And I think one of the the really good things that they did was naming Pat Coyle the head coach. Um, I asked Govett about that, so I'll let him kind of talk about why they made those decisions. And I completely agree with everything that he says in the interview. And having now sort of a firsthand experience and a real closeness with that group, uh, being the voice of the Mammoth down in Colorado, I'm around the coaching staff quite a lot at practices and shoot-arounds and in and out of transit. And you can really see that Pat kind of has taken that next step into the role of sort of the leading coach. And that's nothing against Gilly or or Stroopy. It's just the dynamics of the three. So we'll talk to Steve Govett about that a little bit. And also the Board of Governors um, had their meetings a couple weekends ago in Uncasville. Uh, Steve will fill us in on some of the things that they talk about. So we'll uh, get on a little bit of that as we go on. And again, as I mentioned, a couple pleas to some players and to some teams out there. You know what? Let's get those out of the way right now. Um, In this day and age of social media and readiness of things at fingertips and the more we want to move and the commissioner wants the National Lacrosse League to move into this digital, digital age, we as a league need to help get our product out. And there are so many little things that we can do as a league to help that and to help alleviate that. Now, for example, 
I can't, I guess I could technically, but I don't. For this show to be, and all lacrosse shows and all sports talk radio shows, for them to be successful, audio is king. And sound bites rule. And so I can play you goal calls, and that's great. But what you really want to hear is because you can go and find all those goals. What you really want to hear is you want to hear from the players and you want to hear from the coaches and you want to hear from the general manager if their team's lost four or five or their team's won three or five, whatever it may be. Or if a guy's injured, where he's going to be, how far in the recovery process is he? So when I go and I try to find online clips of post-game comments from coaches or players and I can't find them or they don't exist, it hurts our product. Because, yes, I could call every team to get sound bites every week and be able to play them here for you on the show. And I would love to be able to do that. If I had all the things that I wanted to do, I would do that for you. But I don't have all those resources as of yet. And I would love for presidents and GMs and owners and directors of marketing and directors of communication, all those people who listen to this show. I know there's millions and hundreds and thousands of them. I digressed in numbers there because I know it's not that many. To put time and invest in people that will do that for you. It's not hard to find tech-savvy people that can work a camera, shoot an interview after a game, and within an hour of the game being over, have that audio or that video posted online somewhere. Now, there are teams that do a good job of it. And there are teams that have better resources for than others. Not everybody has a Brad Chowner who can um, do pre- and post-game shows and clip audio and post it to SoundCloud and post it to the internet as smoothly and seamlessly as he does because he's really good at it. He also has a radio studio at his fingertips. Not all of us have those things. But as a team, you need to be able to at least have an iPhone camera and put it in your coach's face or a player's face and get a 30-second, 40-second, minute-long interview and post it online. Because, And I'm not just talking for my benefit. These are what fans want to hear. And these are things fans want to see. They want to see a pissed-off Mike Messenger get interviewed after the game when he brings 100 fans and friends to watch him play in Vancouver. I would love to have seen a reaction from Derek Keenan after the game. I would have loved to have seen uh, an interview from Dan Dawson after he scores the overtime winner. Again, some teams do this. Other teams don't. But I think as a league, we need to find some sort of model to constantly put things up post-game because Everyone always wonders why nobody covers us. Well, we, do, we don't do a very good job of covering ourselves. So, that's one request. My other request goes out to players, but to everybody. And, I don't know, maybe I'm just being a bit of a baby. I don't know. But, it is illegal in the province of British Columbia and in many states and many provinces to text and drive. And I know Snapchat is an awesome form of social media. I love Snapchat. It's one of the greatest things out there. 
But please, I'm just asking everybody, stop snapping and driving. Especially, especially if you have people in the car with you. I'm guilty of it. Everybody has done it. And we need to stop it because there is no reason to be doing it while you're actually driving. You're putting yourself in risk. You're putting other people at risk. And it's not worth it for eight seconds of a funny filter with you and a mustache and glasses. Or whatever it may be. Stop texting and driving. Stop snapping and driving. Just stop. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Let's get back to things. Uh, as mentioned, Steve Govett of the Colorado Mammoth uh, has the hottest team in lacrosse right now. They've won four of five. Uh, he has a goaltender that's playing out of his mind. He has a mishmash put together IR-riddled offense that continues to put up numbers led by Caleb Crawford, a breakout season from Eli McLaughlin, and role players like Brent Adams, Chris Wardle, Jacob Rue, and the newly acquired Stephen Keogh. But it's not just them. Front to back, this Mammoth team is playing really, really well. And I think that some teams are kind of scared, not scared, or worried about what this club will do when Zach Greer and Jeremy Noble come back? What do they do if John Grant Jr. comes back? And they're in a pretty interesting position going into this weekend. They'll fly Friday. They'll land in Saskatoon. They'll play the rush on Saturday night. And then they'll have to make the really tough commute. And it, it's a tough one because it's not like there's a direct flight from Saskatoon anywhere. So I'll have to be up early, fly back to Denver and play the Vancouver Stealth Sunday night at the Pepsi Center. Now, other teams have done this double. It's not like they're the first ones. But it comes at a really key point in the year, and they've just come off a big win against Calgary, and they're playing two other Western teams this weekend in what could be a very, very huge weekend for the Mammoth. So I caught up with General Manager and President Steve Govett earlier on today, and I just asked him about his thoughts uh, of finally knocking off a Colorado team that sort of had had the number in the past few games. Well, we won, I think, three or four times that we played Calgary last year uh, and then lost to them in the playoffs. So, you know, I, while I think the regular season games are very important, obviously the game that's most important against the Calgary Roughnecks for the Colorado Mammoth is uh, going to be in the postseason if we happen to meet. So, you know, um, I thought it was a well-executed game by our guys. I thought the game plan was was strong by the coaches. I thought goaltending, you know, every facet of the game. Goaltending mm -hmm. was fantastic. Offense, defense, and uh, and special teams. You know, a couple shorthanded goals. And, you know, I, I, was, uh, I was very proud of our guys. Let's start with Dylan Ward. He was named sort of your quote-unquote midseason MVP. Um, he has been all that more for you guys this year, hasn't he? Well, I think he started off a little slow. We had a 
we had a bit of a retreat for the fellows after the game on Saturday and went up and spent some time in uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, and did a little hiking and, and other activities. But uh, I got a chance to drive up there with Dylan, and, and he and I had a good chat. And I said, I said, what did you do? I mean, you know, what, what changed for you? And he said, you know what? I just started to feel comfortable in the ball, you know, started seeing the ball. Uh, there was, you know, defensively, the guys kind of got onto the same page. There was a couple of tweaks to our defense that from last year where at the end of the year we were really comfortable, but Pat Coyle came in and wanted to add a couple of tweaks and it took a few games for the guys to get comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they did, I think uh, that gave Dylan a level of confidence. Uh, and, and you've seen it in the last, you know, five games. Um, how closely is, are he and Pat in a relationship that they can make those decisions to make um, the defensive scheme better for him to see the ball. Well, I think I think Pat Pat's very close with with Captain Dan Coates, mm-hmm. and those two talk a lot, and they spend a lot of time um, strategizing and trying to figure out how they're going to go after it. Pat brings it to the table, and the fellows buy in. I mean, we've got a pretty uh, athletic and intelligent group of offense or defensive players, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know Dylan feeds off of that, and I know. Dylan and and Dan Coates are very very close, so I think uh, you know I, I think the communication between the three of them is vital, and and it's there. They they spend a lot of time. They they work a lot on on communication and how they're going to figure things out, and you know tons of film, and and so I, I have a lot of respect for how the three of those guys work together. Dan is obviously the captain of the team, but certainly the captain of the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about threesomes. Um, you were with a triumvirate of, of coaches in Dan, Chris, and Pat, and now you've kind of made the switch to, to Pat being the quote-unquote head coach. Why was that decision made now? You know, I just felt like it was time. Um, you know, the, the, not that it wasn't working the way it was working. I think when they first came in, you know, no one of them, you know, Dan Stroop probably had a little bit more, but no one of them had any more experience in the National Cross League as a coach. Mm-hmm. So in an effort for me to take a little bit of pressure off, you know, any one guy, uh, that was a decision I made at the time. And they, that's the way they wanted it. They were very comfortable with it. They were happy with it. They're best of friends, the three of them. You would never know by spending time with them because they just, <laughs> yeah. they rag on each other all the time. Yeah. But, 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 you know, comedy aside, they love each other, they trust each other, and, you know, it, to them it wasn't an issue. To them yeah. it didn't matter. They, they uh, believe it or not, are all paid exactly the same, and that's the way they wanted it to stay. Um, that's important for them. Um, and so for me it was – I just thought it was time. And, yeah. and it was time to name a head coach, to have somebody, you know, kind of – and Pat has literally emerged as, you know, that leader in the locker room, you know, the, the voice that tends to resonate with, with the entire team from, from front door to back door. Uh, you know, he's, he's the voice uh, for mm-hmm. those guys, but that doesn't diminish at all what uh, Chris Gill and, and Dan Stroop are bringing to the table. So for me, it was just a gut feeling, and, and I felt like it was time to do it. Timing is, is everything in the National Cross League, and unfortunately you guys have been uh, hit by the injury bug, but it's not like you guys have missed any steps. You know, Brent Adams has stepped up. 
Uh, the addition of Stephen Keogh has been fantastic, but I think the emergence of Eli McLaughlin has been something that everybody has to be surprised with, but at the same time, just thrilled about. Well, we're thrilled about Eli McLaughlin, and, and, and it's timely, and I think, you know, invention is the mother of necessity, right, or, or whatever. <laughs> at the end of the day, it, it's about a gap, and somebody had to fill it. And, you know, when John Grant Jr., uh, started missing games because of an injury. Uh, Eli McLaughlin had opportunity to step up, and he's done it. And I, I think the beauty of drafting Eli McLaughlin as a young man was we knew that this was going to be a process for him, and we're thrilled with his his progression over the years. Uh, and now you're, I think you're starting to see the fruits of of a lot of labor, and, mm-hmm. and first and foremost, the labor of a kid that uh, that has worked extremely hard. Uh, to fit in in this league, and, and I'm thrilled that that uh, we've had the opportunity to see him come of age. Uh, obviously, Zach Greer is a huge part of that. Uh, Chris Wardle is a big part of it, but Zach Greer has been, you know, he's been a great mentor to him and, and a great example. Uh, so that's that's been really cool to see. And I think I think where you know where we're the situation that we're in right now. Um, you know, we, we weren't sure what was going to happen when we had three stars kind of go down at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, Noble's out, Greer's out, Junior's out, and we weren't sure what was going to happen. And, and I think, you know, we picked up Kehoe. We've been trying to pick up Kehoe for a long time, and you and I have talked about that for a while. But yeah. uh, it, the, the timing couldn't have been better for us. Uh, he's certainly come in and provided a spark and raised the level of everyone else's game. Callum Crawford stepping up the way he stepped up. But, you know, we went up into Saskatchewan a couple weeks ago, kind of not sure how we were going to fare against a very, very good uh, rush team. And, you know, the guys have answered the bell. And I think uh, I think they're, they're poised and ready. And, and, you know, we feel good about uh, the progress that we're making and the momentum that we have right now. And and hopefully we've got uh, we, we've got some huge assets coming back into the lineup uh, in the next little bit. And, and then there's timing again because this is probably the biggest weekend of the year for you guys. Um, you, you've won four of five. That that loss came against Saskatchewan, and, and you know in a game that was eight seven could have gone either way. Um, but you got the rush and the sell back to back. How important is this weekend for you guys? Well, three games in a row, right, Calgary. Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, and uh, and Vancouver, uh, and Vancouver, and and so this is the West Division in a nutshell. Like it's a dogfight in the West, and and you know there's a lot of guys out in the East that that it, there's a lot of parity and good teams, but we've done well against the East. I, I would tell you right now, the West is very very solid, yeah. and you know this this league is cyclical year upon year. Uh, sometimes you know one side's better than the other, but right now. Uh, I would I would challenge you know you to find a better uh, a better group of lacrosse teams than the three or four lacrosse teams in the West that are battling it out right now. It's crazy to think that you know you guys are halfway through the season and you only play five teams the rest of the way. Uh, you play Vancouver twice, you play Saskatchewan three times, you play uh, Rochester, Georgia, and Toronto. Um, it's the time for this team to really step up and show that they can be. Uh, the elite team in the West, are, are they ready to do that? Are they ready to handle that burden? Well, it's crunch time, and I think we'll find out. 
I'd like to believe they are, but I always believe they are. So uh, I do think as you start to go up and down this roster, uh, you really start to see things come together. And, and on paper, it's starting to translate. Uh, you're seeing, you know, uh, obviously a pretty solid right side with, with Stephen Keogh and Callum Crawford, Noble coming back. Uh, man, Brent Adams and, and Jacob Rue are really chipping in and doing their job. You know, Greer, Eli, and Chris Wardle, man, we're pretty excited about the left side and, and what's happening over there. Um, so offensively, I, I, I think we're, we're a force to be reckoned with, and you're going to have to scout everybody. And defensively, when Dylan's on his game and playing the way he's playing and our defense is forcing shots from places that, you know, that are, are where we want to take, you know, where we want to get those shots from, we're hard to beat. So I, I feel, I feel confident that, uh, that we're going to be a team that uh, can battle for that top spot. We clearly have the opportunity. You play, you play against those guys three times in the rush and, and the opportunity starts this Saturday. Uh, let's step away from the Mammoth. You're part of the uh, NLL Board of Governors. You guys had meetings in Uncasville, uh last week after your game in uh, out there at the casino. How did those go, and is there any information you can kind of shed some light on that, that came from those meetings? Yes, yeah, super positive. And, and the National Cross League is really on the verge of a, of a tremendous trajectory right now, and, and certainly uh, – I think a lot of credit should be due to uh, every owner in the National Lacrosse League and all nine owners who have stepped up and said uh, that the status quo is not good enough, that growth is important, uh, expansion, broadcast, you know, a, a lot of uh, infrastructure investment uh, in growing our digital platform, which you've heard all of these things from Nick Sikevich. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's certainly the driver. Uh, but we're just now starting to see kind of the, the emergence of a plan uh, that, that we want to take to the next level. Uh, I, I really think the sky is the limit. There's so many positive things happening for the National Cross League right now. People are taking notice. There's so many people. There's a buzz about us from an expansion perspective uh, around the country, around North America with our buildings, um, you know, with the, with the other buildings and the NHL and the NBA. There, there's people – uh, that are really taking notice of, of what's happening in the National Lacrosse League. So uh, it's an exciting time to be involved, uh, and I see a great trajectory in the future. So what were some of the, the focal points um, of the meetings that you guys had? Well, certainly, you know, broadcast is one of them. Big announcement coming here in the next little bit, uh, you know, and, and our fans are going to want to watch for that to, around the league. Uh, super exciting there. Uh, can't go into a lot of details because I'm not allowed to, but, yeah. but the point of the matter is it's exciting stuff. And, and I think people are going to really pay attention to a massive, massive audience uh, of people that we're going to begin to connect with and grow the critical mass of, of not only lacrosse in general, but indoor lacrosse talking about trying to figure out ways to work together with a number of different groups and great conversations with U.S. lacrosse and, and the CLA and Canadian lacrosse and, and talking to the MLL, great conversations with the MLL and, and what the future holds with, with them and, and great conversations with Warrior and Under Armour and, you know, really solid, positive uh, vibe of how we can move the needle to grow the game. So that, that, 
that was a big topic of discussion. The other one was schedule and talking about our schedule. Uh, you know, people probably don't understand the challenges that go into our schedule. The NBA and the NHL teams, uh, you know, th- their schedules come out in July. And if, uh, you know, the, the stuff that affects the National Cross League that people mm-hmm. don't understand, you know, the Olympics and, and hockey, right, and what's happening um, with the, with the hockey and the Olympic movement there, it affects the National Cross League and how we schedule because whether those guys are going to be on break or have to play multiple Saturdays or, you know, so how we get dates. So we're talking about trying to figure out ways uh, to perhaps elongate the schedule uh, to, to give us more flexibility to get the nine dates that we need so we can stop seeing, you know, these, these really challenging uh, double headers where, you know, Calgary was in, in Colorado and then have to go home and cross a border flying commercial, uh, you know, the, the double header that we have this weekend in Saskatoon and then coming back to play against Vancouver. You know, we're, we're trying to figure out ways to alleviate those double headers, trying to figure out ways, uh, to get more quality dates. So we're not, you know, kind of jammed into that space. Uh, and, and we did it earlier, Ted, you were involved with the January 7th, 14th, 20th, where, you know, it's hard to sell tickets in that window. Um, you know, we did great on the January 7th game and then struggle on the 14th and 20th when you got back to back games. And then we're away from Pepsi center for a month yeah. uh, because of things that, that are going on in the building. So it's hard to get dates and that happens around the league. It's a challenging schedule. Uh, for the league to put together. And so talking about ways for us to come up with solutions that, you know, uh, that, that give us more time to play more dates. Talked about some really interesting and key assets that we could play, you know, an exhibition series uh, in some really key markets in North America and, and some of the uh, some of the NLL teams and talking about some stuff maybe in the early fall uh that would be really interesting, fun stuff to kick off our season and outdoor games and, you know, all, all sorts of really fun stuff that we're talking about right now. And and so for many, many years, the National Cross League has been, uh, I like to call it a firefighter league, meaning we were putting out fires constantly and never planning for the future and never looking forward. We were just simply trying to, to, you know, drink from a fire hose and put those fires out. Uh, but now I think there's a really strong initiative for planning and, and strategic planning and bringing in new partners that will grow the league. A ton of, ton of conversation about expansion and all the markets that we're talking to and all the key uh, investors and key buildings. So it's really a vibrant room right now, and, and it's a good time to be in the National Cross League. It's a great time to be a potential investor in lacrosse. It's interesting to see all the, the names and cities that get thrown out, but obviously, as, as you've mentioned and a couple other people have mentioned on this, until there's money in the in the pot and the name on that signature, uh, nothing is finalized. But how close are we to knowing um, maybe the first new team coming to the National Lacrosse League? I, you know, it, it's hard for me to say uh, – with any given, you know, specific time frame, I, I got to tell you, I think before, um, you know, sometime before June 1st, we're going to know um, where we're at, you know, for the for the upcoming season and obviously for the upcoming two seasons. I think that some of this conversation is instead of 
you know, kind of grabbing everything that we can. The National Lacrosse League wants to be in a position where we can give a really long ramp-up period for a new franchise to come in so that we can give them every opportunity to be successful and and finding the right people with the right buildings and and really putting together solid ownership groups and, and with solid building deals, that's the key priority. So, I don't think there's a time frame that, that, that I can say uh, with any level of certainty that says, okay, you, you look for this in the next two to three years, or sorry, you know, two to three months. But what I can say is I really feel strongly, and I think a lot of other people do as well, that once we get the first one or two franchises into the league, there's going to be a snowball effect, and there's going to be a lot of people that would like to be partners in the National Lacrosse League. So it's a very exciting time to be a part of this process. Well, it's an exciting time to be part of the process, and it's an exciting time to be a Colorado Mammoth fan. Uh, Steve, always a pleasure catching up with you, and I know that I'll see you uh, Sunday in the Pepsi Center. Thanks, as always, my friend. Thanks, Ted. We'll talk to you soon. There is General Manager, President of the Colorado Mammoth, Steve Govett. Um, It was a fun little getaway up to Estes Park, uh, with the team, I was lucky enough to hop on board in one of the vans and head up there. A uh, cool story. Um, where we stayed at Rocky Mountain Resorts was just down the road from a place called the Stanley Hotel. Little known fact of the historic Stanley Hotel that it was where they filmed The Shining. And it is also the hotel used in the movie Dumb and Dumber. Uh, lobby bar right in the lobby. We landed on the moon, and more famously, I'll race you to the top. That hotel. So it was pretty cool. There are some secret videos of some guys racing upstairs, but those I can live without seeing again. Just kidding, Coatsy. Um, moving on. Uh, you heard Steve Govett talk about uh, some of the things that the Board of Governors uh, we're, we're discussing. He didn't go too into detail about a lot of stuff just because some of the things, as he said, he, he can't divulge yet. It's not able to become public knowledge. Uh, there are some things, you know, talking about the schedule moving, uh, the expansion talk. These are all things that are out there. These are all things that are being discussed. But again, until until we get that dotted line signed, there's no expansion. Uh, The idea of moving the schedule back into the fall, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Uh, You're working into the start of the NHL hockey season, but if you're you're doing it because you want to avoid tough doubleheader weekends, I get that. Because what Calgary had to do last weekend... Uh, you know, flying from Colorado through to Seattle, then to Calgary. Uh, I think they got in early in the afternoon. Obviously, it worked out for them. But they got into Calgary earlier in the afternoon. If if there's any weather problems or guys get held up at customs, like that can throw a whole game off. So without teams having, you know, charter jets and, and big payrolls to have those types of things, it's going to be tough to fit a a group of anywhere from 25 to 30 people with players, coaching staff, management, training staff, and all the equipment that needs to go along with them to get them all on one flight into one city on the same day of a game 
and hope that every bag makes it, it's not always the easiest thing to do. It's one of my issues with why I don't think a pro team would ever go to Victoria because it's so hard to get to the island, especially for a group of 25 to 30 people. But to get that group from anywhere to Saskatoon or Saskatoon to anywhere is tough. Same with Uncasville. Even Georgia's tough. You know, a lot of these commutes on double weekends isn't the easiest. Sure, Buffalo, Rochester, Toronto, you can drive that and no worries. Although Buffalo did apparently run into a snag where they had to wait over an hour to check into their hotel. When they got to the arena, they didn't have a dress room, so there was they were literally changing in the bowels of Blue Cross Arena before the Amherst said that they could use their dressing room. Like, how does that even happen? How do you not have a dressing room for the visiting team? That one kind of worked out in favor of Rochester because they ended up winning in overtime as Dan Dawson scored it. But it's, again, this whole thing about travel, if if this is going to be the way they want to try to eliminate that, I get it. And you can't go much farther into the summer Then you get further and further into the Canadian summer ball. You get further and further into the major league lacrosse season. I don't mind starting earlier. I really don't. Like, if they're going to start in November, I'm okay with it. Maybe December, early December. But if you're getting into October, that's tough. Because when you think about it, and... As long as there is two seasons, you know, NLL and then summer slash MLL, guys are going to want to play both. And until guys are paid to, pl- to play just one full time, you're going to have guys that are playing a lot of lacrosse all the time. So if they start the season, say, in November, then you really, if a guy goes all year, say, He starts in November, his team goes to the Champions Cup, he goes back home for the summer, his team goes to the Man Cup. He can be playing from November all the way into September. He really would only have like a month off, month and a half off. So it'll be interesting to see how the Board of Governors attacks this. Um, I'm interested to hear about uh, this idea of exhibition series in prospective markets. Uh, I don't mind that idea. It'd just be interesting to see how they do it. It would be if you do teams, if you do like an all-star game, but you don't want to be in an all-star game because then it's just, there's no real tension to it. Like if you played Saskatoon in Calgary in Winnipeg, I think it would be a whole lot more entertaining to see that than to say an East-West All-Star game in Winnipeg. So that'll be uh, something to keep an eye on. And then the other thing he really mentioned, uh, Steve mentioned, was um, uh, a broadcasting deal of some sort that's coming out. And he teased it. And he didn't divulge much, but from what I was able to decipher from him after, it's going to be groundbreaking. Not so much as in the first thing ever, 
but just huge for the sport of lacrosse and the game of indoor lacrosse. So we'll have to stay tuned for that. Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I think he said. And then as for expansion, um, you can read into all you want of John Barchon's, Barchard's uh, tweets that he keeps putting out. Um, and there's nothing other than maybe a little bit of uh, direct information, some of those tweets that he sent out. A lot of that stuff is true, just like a lot of the stuff that he tweeted out a long time ago or a few weeks ago about expansion cities is true. But again, those are just talks and visions, and you probably could have pulled a lot of those names out of a hat and been right. Because, again, not a lot of surprises in that. It's just new information to the pub- public because all that other stuff had just never been made public information. That's why, you know, some GMs have, have said to me, well, it's not new news. Well, it's not new news to you, but it's new news to us. Joe Public. And we are the ones who want to know all this stuff. Because we get excited when the expansion word gets thrown around. Because it's what we all want to see. We all want to know what the process is of it. So uh, stick around. Uh, This new broadcasting deal um, that's supposed to be coming out uh, should be um, as groundbreaking as they say. I think it's going to be huge for the NLL and the game of indoor lacrosse. So let's go back to this weekend and and talk about a few things. Because there is uh, a few things that happened this weekend that I would like to speak on, like to talk about, and hopefully you will enjoy it along with me. Um, Friday, Buffalo in Rochester. Sorry, Rochester in Buffalo. And still no... Ryan Banesh, for the Bandits, he's still out recovering from uh, concussion symptoms uh, as a result of the hit from Bill O'Brien, who was serving and went out and started to serve his suspension this week. Uh, So he will sit out one more game on the two-game suspension that he took. Uh, Pat Saunders got into his first game, and he looked pretty good for the Buffalo Bandits. I think that's a good addition for them. But it just started this crazy week of Buffalo-Rochester as they played 18 hours after the game Friday night on Saturday, an afternoon game. And we need to fast forward right to the end of that game. Dane Smith scored the goal to put the Bandits up 1-8-7. And with 11 seconds left, he's deep in his own zone. He's got the ball. The double team slowly comes. And as the play gets blown in, Dane Smith decides just to run up the sideboards, try to sprint out the double team, and run the clock. And it all seemed like a great idea until somehow, and I'm still not really sure how, the ball pops out of Dane's stick at center, and this happens. Picked up by Hasek, six seconds to go. Courier in on goal. Scores! Josh Courier! That goal, with about two seconds left, Could have been avoided if a few things happened. The Bandits played it differently. If the ball obviously doesn't pop out of Dane's stick, if Billy D. Smith doesn't fall over when he's trying to check Josh Courier, or if Dane just chucked the ball down the floor 
and let the clock run out. There was 11 seconds left. If you just roll the ball down the far corner and let three guys battle for it, it's going to eat the clock up. It's going to be game over. But that's all hearsay. It's just a heartbreaking way for the Bandits to lose that game. And a huge win for the Nighthawks as Dan Doss would score the winner in overtime. Just a crazy ending to that game and what is still one of the best rivalries in the National Lacrosse League. Rochester, Buffalo, an hour separates the two. It's what Calgary and Edmonton was and was slowly growing into. Man. Uh, out of that series, Anthony Cosmo on Friday night made it, became the first goaltender um, to record a 7,000th save. Shout out to Cos. Don't know how many more years left the big fella has, but he continues to chase that elusive Champions Cup as a starter. He's won them, just not as a starter. And his bandits are in tough. And they got some work to do. Uh, they get a, a bye week this week. So that's good for them. Just allow their bodies to relax and recoup before they get back into it. The other thing that I would like to speak on from this past weekend uh, was the Vancouver game against Saskatchewan. And um, as mentioned, I was with the Mammoth guys over the weekend and we were all together uh, watching the game because everyone kind of had vested interest in it because if the Rush had lost, then the Mammoth would only have been a half game back, which happened, which they are, which makes Saturday's game all that much more important. Now, a few things to take away from that game. Um, probably the best game I've seen the Stealth play all year, maybe in a couple of years. From Ty Belanger on out, uh, their offense looked in sync. Their transition game was the best it's been in years. Uh, Justin Salt has really emerged as one of the best transition players in all of the National Lacrosse League. He's become a real threat on the run. But more importantly, their ability to limit the rush, um, to, to really stifle them on offense and get inside on Aaron Bold in that defense, it's almost kind of like what we saw in that first game of the year for the rush when they were taking on Georgia. Now, again, then the rush didn't have Aaron Bold, but it kind of looked... Similar. Um, I talked to John Fraser, who does the Mammoth game. Sorry, I do the Mammoth games. He, he does the Rush games. And I said, what happened to your boys? And he said, you know what? It just, they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. And it was uh, another shining example of why they need to have practices the night before. Uh, but they didn't have that Friday night practice because a lot of their Ontario guys didn't get in until 8 o'clock. By the time they got out to Langley, it was it was late at night. They weren't going to have a practice. So all they, all they had was shoot around in the morning. And that could take a toll on its team. You know, I think I would rather my team have a Friday night practice and not morning shoot around than to only have shoot around and not a Friday night practice. And I can't remember the number off the top of my head uh, of what he said the rush were. Um, but it's not good for them. It hasn't been good for them. Well, here's the number. Uh, they're now one and two when they don't when they don't do full practice on Friday. They're six and one when they do. So, not glaring numbers, but it just seemed that the rush were really flat. But give a lot of credit to the Vancouver Stealth and the way that Jamie Batley had his troops prepared and ready to take on that game. However, the one big takeaway 
And it's something that has slowly been building as a trend in the National Lacrosse League, and I talked about it, I think, a couple weeks ago, is this idea that not everything is a match or a major in a game misconduct. The hit of Mike Messenger on Ian Hawksby was one of the most atrocious blown calls I've seen in a while. It wasn't a match. It wasn't a misconduct. It was hardly worth a major for high sticking. And it was pretty obvious that Ian Hawksby was trying to sell it. And the officials bought it because Hawksby laid on the ground until Messenger was eventually kicked out of the game. And then he was right back on the floor a couple shifts later. If it's a match, which is a tented injure, essentially, that's what match means. It is the most violent of all the penalties. A match. Attempt to injure. There was no attempt to injure in what Mike Messenger did. He came up through a hit. He got a little high on Hawksby, but it wasn't violent. It wasn't vicious. It wasn't dangerous. It wasn't malicious. And I'm not saying the loss of Messenger was the reason that they lost that game. They lost that game well before. But it's just this ongoing theme that we're seeing in the NLL right now. That, And I don't want to blame the three-ref system. But we have to find this common area. It's not a bubble wrap league. This is a physical game of lacrosse. I can understand if there is a vicious and violent and dirty play. Then you call it. But when you take a play that's not and you make it as bad as it can be in your rule book, then what does that say to everything else that gets missed? The Stephen Keogh hit on Curtis Manning was a clean hit and there was exact reason why it wasn't called. And yet Mike Messenger gets a major or a match and a game and he barely even hit Oxby. It was unbelievable. I, I We were all shocked when we saw that. And I'm, I know Derek Keenan was just as furious. I don't think it was as furious as Kurt Miloski was after the Keo hit. And I can't play that audio for you because, well, it's not safe for anybody's ears. And Kurt Miloski was some fired up at Ryan Fowler, the official uh, Friday night in Colorado. And here's another thing. I'm a fan of Kurt Miloski. Uh, I played with him. He is one of my favorite lacrosse peoples of all time. Uh, he and I have had many lengthy talks about NLL, about his kids, about summer lacrosse, everything. I have all the respect for Kurt Miloski in the world. He is a very fiery and passionate guy. He's very hot-tempered, and he's been known to get a little fiery and hot under the collar. And I can understand his upsetness. After the Keo hit. But for him to go 
as volatile as he did at Ryan Fowler, the official. And the things that he said that were picked up by the microphone of my colleague John Glant, who was between the benches, and went over national TV and went over international worldwide airwaves. And for him to not get a penalty is beyond me. Not even a two-minute unsportsmanlike conduct for the varied of words that he spewed at an official. If a player had said any number of those words to an official, he would have been tossed from the game. In a heartbeat, Seth Oaks got kicked out of the game the other night for we don't even know what was said. We know what Kurt Belosky said, and nothing happened. I don't get it. You can toss a player out of a game for, a, for the opponent essentially diving and not being hurt at all, and yet you'll allow a bench coach to verbally assault a referee and not even give him a two-minute penalty. It doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't make sense to players because there's no consistency. And there needs to be. That's what we all across players will always say. From game one to game 90, from the first whistle to the last whistle. As long as your calls are consistent, we don't have anything really to complain about. But when they're not, and things get completely missed or completely blown out of proportion, it doesn't sit well. And it makes guys wonder what the heck is going on. So again, I, like I said, I have all the respect for Kurt. I can understand his fire at going after the official and wondering why there wasn't a call, but the way he went about it and the fact that he didn't get a penalty is just beyond me. And yet Messenger was kicked out of the game. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, this week, there are just four lacrosse games. We've talked about essentially two of them. Uh, Colorado in Saskatoon to take on the Rush Saturday night, a game that is for first place. Uh, the Rush and Mammoth will play three more times, including this weekend. So uh, if the Rush can win, they'll be halfway to a split in the season series. If the Mammoth win, it just makes things a little more interesting. Colorado will then have to get on a plane first thing Sunday morning to take on the Stealth Sunday night, 7 p.m. Denver time. Uh, also Saturday, Calgary at Toronto, which is always, always one of my most favorite games to watch. I go back to the days of uh, Jesse Phillips and Veltman fighting and those just crazy, crazy fights of McNish and, and Johnny Rosa and Ian Rubel. Um, those were the days uh, that the roughneck rock rivalry was at its peak. And the way these two teams are playing right now, I, I'm expecting a pretty good game. I think you always expect a good game when these two teams go at it. Um, and Calgary is, you know, they finally got the monkey off their back. They were losers of five straight. Um, there was some speculation of, uh, you know, maybe some shuffling of the deck in Calgary if they had lost both games this weekend. But I don't know what 
Mouse said to his boys on the way home, but they came out guns a-blazing against Georgia. And uh, after giving up 18, they put up 18. Uh, so that's a bit of a nice turnaround for them. I know they wouldn't have liked the night before to happen, but uh, this week they're in Toronto take on the Rock, who suffered their first uh, overtime loss of the season as they dropped to New England 9-8, sorry, 10-9 in overtime. Uh, Sheldon Burns scored the game winner there, but Toronto's still in a good spot, sitting second in the East. Two back of Georgia, who plays New England this weekend, so um, they're going to need a win if if to kind of keep track and keep on pace with the with the Swarm. But this Black Wolves team is in a in a bit of a, a spot, aren't they? We don't know the full status of Sean Evans. Um, he posted a picture on social media the other day um, of him icing his ankle with his daughters. And they're still waiting for MRIs and x-ray results. It doesn't sound good. We don't really know the full extent, if it's broken, if it's a high ankle sprain. Uh, we believe it's the ankle just from everything that we've read. We don't really know the full extent of when he'll be back. You know, they would love to have him back. Kyle Buchanan, sorry, Kevin Buchanan was wearing the C the other night for the Black Wolves. So it was a huge win for them to get that under their belt in Toronto, uh, a team that is right on their heels, or sorry, they're right on the heels of trying to get back into the playoff spots. So, you know, it's tight all over. And Steve Govett mentioned how we think sort of right now the the West is better than the East. Uh, it's sort of cyclical. I think everything is really close. I think there are probably, like we said, maybe one, two, three, four teams at the top and then the middle pack. I don't think we have three tiers anymore. You know, I think you can put Georgia, Toronto, Sask, and Colorado up there and then the other five teams. New England, Buffalo, Rochester, Vancouver, Calgary, right there. And even they're not far behind because it's a two-game gap between second and third in the West. It's a game-and-a-half game uh, gap in the East between second and third. So, you know, two wins either way can really turn a team season around, and there's some big weekends coming up. But the biggest weekend right now is the Colorado Mammoth. If they could win both of these games, which is possible, they'd really take a big step in the West, but it's going to come to that first game in Saskatoon where they take on the rush. And again, last time they were there, they lost an 8-7 heartbreaker. Uh, they were without a lot of guys. We don't know if Jeremy Noble will be back, what the status of Zach Greer is, and if they are back, what do they do with that offense? Who comes out? Obviously, you're not taking Eli out. You know, you'll probably run three lefts, Eli, Zach Greer, and Wardle. But then on the right side, the emergence of Stephen Keogh has been, uh, since they traded for him, absolutely fantastic. You're not taking Callum Crawford out. Um, Brent Adams has just been an absolute injection of life since he's really started to get some full four playing time. And then Jacob Rouet, who has really emerged as a young gun for them, uh, a bit of a gritty grinder. And if you add Jeremy Noble back into the fray, who comes out? But that's not my call. That's for new head coach Pat Coyle. 
and his coaching staff. And I'm sure Dan Carey, director of player personnel, will have a say, as will Steve Govett, um, who I would like to thank for stopping by and giving us some time just to talk about the Mammoth and all the things that happened at the Board of Governors meeting because, again, those are things that really don't get talked about. Like, if look at the National Hockey League. They just had Board of Governor meetings, and, you know, it's a big deal for them, all their Board of Governor meetings and their GM, annual GM meetings. And they get together and they talk, and we get reports and we get news and we get stories and we get ideas of what's happening in those meetings. We even get GMs hiding behind palm trees so he doesn't have to talk to the media. But we don't get that in the National Lacrosse League. And, you know, we don't have, like, we have NLL Productions. And Tyson and me are doing all that they can to get as many stories out there as they can. But, you know, why weren't they at the Board of Governors meetings interviewing people after and giving us ideas and videos and stories of what happened because if you didn't know what happened you never would have known so this is kind of what i was talking about we need to make ourselves more accessible now i know you don't have to tell every little story and you don't have to divulge every little thing that was talked about or give every single soundbite But we need to open the doors a little bit more. And I don't want to harp on this any more than I have this week. But again, as a collective group, we need to be better. We need to provide more content, more information, more digital stuff. Whether it's 30-second clips of a post-game interview of a guy sitting in his locker room or a midweek hit with your GM talking about injuries. Something needs to always be going on. And with that, we'll bring another end to another week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Uh, again, thanks to Steve Govett. Thanks to you uh, for listening. Again, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Four games on NLL TV this weekend. Check them out wherever you are and enjoy every single moment. We've reached and past the halfway mark. A lot of exciting things to come in the National Lacrosse League season here in 2017. So long and thanks for all the fish and be excellent to each other.